0: This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at PivotBio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCray. Andrew Phillips has been growing, selling, and scouting seed and crops for many years now. Learn his tips for growing the best yields, maintaining fertility, sustaining soils, and managing weeds. Plus, he shares the unique crop he's growing next to his own corn and beans that has been a success story for the entire family. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. You've heard me mention that for the past two years, I've been trying a new corn nitrogen product firsthand in my fields, Pivot Bioproven. Pivot Bioproven adheres to the root of the corn plant and it creates a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's a weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable and productive yields than ever before. In 2021, I've been looking at how Pivot Bio Proven can help us replace some of the synthetic nitrogen we've used in the past. That hopefully means the use of less synthetic nitrogen in the future, saving us money while supplying the corn the nutrients it needs. Pivot Bio Proven may change the way you think about nitrogen. I hope you'll learn more by going to pivotbio.com. I was recently in West Central Iowa on the farmstead of Andrew Phillips. He's a channel seedsman, a role that has him in the fields of many corn and soybean producers every year. Over that time, he's accumulated a lot of knowledge on what works well and not so well for farmers, and he'll share some of the secrets he's learned for producing a better crop. But on my way to his farm, as I was driving up his lane, I found something quite unexpected. Another crop that involves his entire family and even the community, and has provided an added revenue stream for the Phillips family. Here's our conversation. Visiting with Andrew Phillips, we're in Sac County, Iowa here. So tell me about the growing season this year. There has been some drought in the area, but the crops here look pretty good this year.
1: Yeah, so this year we started out um, very dry. Planting conditions were dry, which is good. Um, there's an old saying, plant in the dust, the bins will bust. Um, so yeah, we had really good conditions. Crop came out of the ground really well, uh, turned colder. Um, definitely had some some uh, slower growing conditions early on. Uh, Vegetative stage, we had quite a bit of dry conditions, um, lack of rain, saw a lot of um, rolling of leaves, white color to the corn, soybeans kind of flopped over. um, So we saw drought early. And then um, kind of once we got going, uh, late vegetative stage, we caught a couple paycheck rains, which were just timely, um, really kind of kept us going to the next rain, right? We kind of prayed that we'd get another one. Um, Then once reproductive stage hit, uh, we really cooled down during pollination, uh, it was beautiful pollinating weather um uh corn is filled to the tip um uh, beans we didn't lose too many pods um then we caught some really nice rains after that um early grain fill is excellent fungicide's going to pay really nicely this year um really seeing plant health and respiration benefits from fungicide um then late we we did have a little stretch there where it got dry and we saw some Um, we saw some pods abort, some of these top pods on the soybeans abort and we're laying on the ground, but overall, um, late season rains are going to fill this corn and and fill the overall soybean crop out. Um, I call it a state, state fair rain kind of made the soybean crop. So I, I think we have a really good chance in my particular area to have really nice corn yields, um, really consistent bean yields. We are seeing a little bit of sudden death and white mold in the soybeans, Um, One concern I have on the corn late is once it, you know, senesces all the way through, what's that stock quality going to look like? Did it cannibalize itself through the vegetative stage? Um, Did we weaken that overall stock and standability for
0: for harvest? You mentioned the fungicide there. Do most farmers hear fungicide everything, or is it a year-by-year basis that you look at whether you're going to recommend doing that? Yeah, so I, th- I think
1: um, we definitely have some growers
0: that fungicide everything, corn
1: and soybeans, every year. They pay for it. They do it every year. They see benefits from it. Um, there There's definitely some of that, but there are also quite a few growers that uh, do not fungicide everything or just fungicide corn or just fungicide soybeans based on what they've seen in the past. Um, I would say most years it's going to pay, whether it's standability, um, you know, grain fill, yield, whatever it may be. Um we're seeing really good benefits, but a lot of a lot of times I will have meetings or or we'll try to have conversations about you know are we looking at crop insurance level crop insurance level yields, or are we um, above crop insurance and can we push the crop farther um, so we we look at you know marginal soils, do we do those fields, do we do corn on corn first um, what is the scenario that we pick and choose from? Um, But I would say more than not, we're fungiciding pretty consistently
0: every year, and we have been. You're a channel seedsman, so you're out in a lot of these fields. So over years, what are some of the practices that you're finding year on year seem to return the investment and pay for, for farmers in this area?
1: Yeah, so I think um, in my area um, we have a. I'm a. I have a very unique area from the standpoint that Sac County is kind of a melting pot of soils. So we've we've got everything from windblown to glacial till soils, and so um, in those glacial till, I'm really seeing a lot of nutrition needs in season at vegetative stage. We've done tissue samples that show. We are we are lacking vegetative nutrition, um, not only in glacial soils but also in windblown. But the glacial seem to really respond better. Um, so we're we're spreading our nitrogen applications out. Maybe we're doing some some thirty two percent nitrate form up front. Um, we're doing some anhydrous in the fall, but we're giving it a split application. Um, we've also been doing some urea with some some AMS, some sulfur um, in season. We're really seeing some benefits from sulfur. But spreading and, and um, um, kind of spoon feeding that crop through the growing season has allowed us on these marginal soils to give us a better chance at consistency across every acre. Um, here in the glacial till, we can burn up on the hills and we can drown out in the bottoms. And so um, we really concentrate on nutrition management but we also concentrate on tile in the heavier lower areas has really benefited us in the glacial till um along with i think fungicide has been a huge huge deal on these heavy black soils and even on the windblown soils and clay down in the southern part of sack county um we get a lot of dew we get a lot of um uh, uh, heavier um, soils that hold moisture. And so these fungicides have allowed us to kind of, one, get better standability in the heavier dirt, but also keep some of these diseases at bay and, and move sugar through that plant more naturally um, on those heavier, tighter, you know, highly fertile soils.
0: What's working well for weed control here?
1: So weed control is a mixed bag, um, kind of with um, the area that I'm in. Um, a lot of our independent farmers um, are using the Dicamba products up front with their no-till or with their pre. Um, that's really helped them give some extra um, residual effects to that. And then uh, with our post, it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. So we're, we're seeing some um, extend getting applied um, post. We're seeing some enlist getting applied post. But a majority of my guys are running a Liberty uh, Outlook or Liberty Dual type Type scenario, something with um, contact herbicide burndown and then also um, residual product. Now, we saw with the hot, dry weather that didn't work as good this year as it has in the past. We're realizing that maybe humidity is playing a little bit more of an impact on weed control post application. But even more than that, I think in my area, we really need to get to a point where we are spraying 25 to 30 days after emergence. I hope we're spraying dirt. I hope we're spraying soil and we're not spraying weeds at all. Um, I think uh, this water hemp and and, uh, Palmer, I think in general, if it's up, it's going to be hard to kill. And so we need to get to a program that we are ahead of that and we are allowing for those early season rains to help us instead of hurt us. And so I'm trying to really change or help people change their habits of spraying. Don't spray when we see weeds,
0: spray based on a timeline in this area, are we mostly conventional till and and using any cover crops or what do you see on the conservation side?
1: Yeah, again, it's, it's a mixed bag. So we've got guys that, um, um, are still doing a lot of tillage. Um, I would say in the glacial till, we see more rippers, we see more heavy tillage, um, just to kind of open up and aerate those soils in the windblown soils, um, less tillage, obviously more slope. So we get more erosion. So we're trying to kind of keep that from eroding, but, um, I would say in general we're seeing um, a move away from heavy tillage and kind of into more minimal tillage like a vertical till system or a high-speed disc or something that, that, that does some tillage but doesn't hurt it. Or we're moving away from two or three tillage passes to one um, right before planting. Um, on the soybean side of things, going into soybeans or planting soybeans, we're seeing quite a bit of no-till. Um, we're planting soybeans right into um, uh, the stalks not touching them. Um, that's helping us with moisture. Beans can handle that. If we lose some stand, beans are really resilient. They'll branch. They'll, they'll do their thing. Um, so we're seeing a, a lot of that. We're also seeing some cover crops getting flown on um, by airplane or drilled after the crop is out. Um, we're definitely seeing that. We're seeing rye. We're seeing some mixes with rapeseed. Um, people are trying some wheat. Um, had some people try some oats. So we're, 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 trying some different things. I would say cover crop overall is, is, um, smaller than any other practice, but it's, it's definitely being tried and people are working at it. I think my personal opinion is we're the better scenario is to plant cover crop or fly it on in the corn stalks and then plant beans into it and terminate it. However you want to terminate it when we're going from beans to corn, um, That termination process is, you know, a little more important. We need to make sure we get it timely. Um, You know, that rye is good with weed control. That alliopathy is is a good thing for weed control, but it also can hurt your corn early on. So we just got to be careful when we're, you know, planting corn into cover crop when we terminate it.
0: How have crop prices impacted what people are doing? The margin should be a little better, although certainly input prices in 2022 are coming up.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, 2021 is is the best of both worlds in my area because we do have a pretty decent looking crop. I know on my fringes, we have a lot poorer crops, um, but in general i would say people are more willing to manage their crop this year due to higher prices we're trying to push that crop as far as we can maybe that's adding a little more nitrogen in season maybe that's spraying a potassium foliar maybe that's putting fungicide and insecticide on um, at tassel at reproductive stage Uh, but overall i think people are really um, pushing this crop as far as they can Also, on the equipment front, I think a lot of people are maybe trying to upgrade a few pieces of equipment that they needed to upgrade a long time ago but didn't have the money to do. Um, So, we're seeing a lot more focus on planters. And and that's what I like to see as a channel seedsman is I really want people to focus on getting that crop started the best they possibly can. And um, we're seeing a lot of hydraulic down pressure. We're seeing um, things that, that that change in the field as conditions change to give us the most consistent crop that we can throughout the entire field. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy to see some of those things happening on the equipment side. But I will say, I think a lot of people are getting ready for higher input costs. We're saving quite a bit of money or trying to keep as much money in our pocket to make sure that we can get our crop put in for 2022. Rents are going up seed prices going up fertilizers going up chemical will be tight in supply and going up um, so I, I just think we need to be prepared to have a much higher input cost uh for 2022 and and also use a marketing you know advisor Hel- help have them help you market your grain so that we're not in a situation where we had high inputs and maybe we have a really big crop and we're having low um, grain prices so um just manage risk, know your bottom line, know where you need to be. Every operation is different and then and then manage that based on
0: your operation. You mentioned rental rates there. What do we see for rental rates or even any land selling in this area? What are we at now? Yeah. So, I mean, land sales obviously are going to drive
1: rental rates, I think, in my opinion. We're seeing really high um, land sale prices. Um, some of that's short, you know, supply of land. Um, some of that's Farmers are feeling good about what kind of crop we have and and where they're at uh, in the economy You know, we're not making land There's no more land to be made So every piece that comes up and if it's close and you have cattle or livestock I mean all those things factor in on how high that value of that land is to that person But it only takes two it only takes two people that want that ground to make it go where it goes so I think um land values have obviously gone up way more and way quicker than i thought but that's just the way it is rents will follow i mean i've i've heard a lot of people um talk to their landlords and they've terminated the lease and the landlord is ready to to make that push but i also think that it's super important that we're fair you know what whatever that looks like uh, the landowner or the, the, the grower just be fair with everyone and make sure that we all are in a situation that we can keep moving forward.
0: Let's talk for a moment about the Phillips Farmstead here. You uh, grow some crops, but when you go into your uh, house and shed, you drive through a vineyard, which uh, you don't always see.
1: Yeah, so um, uh, we're kind of in a unique scenario. So we're we're located right north of Blackhawk Lake. Um, that's one of the most Southern glacial lakes in, in Iowa. Um, with that, we got a lot of sand or, or, you know, um, gravel deposits throughout this area on the knobs. And so we had, a uh, quite a few acres of, of what used to be corn and soybeans and alfalfa that we converted to grapes. And, um, it was kind of a thing that, um, I went to college and I went, I had a few classes that, that studied, uh, uh Grapes and wine and I thought it was really neat. And I thought we should just do it as a hobby. And that hobby has turned into much more than a hobby. It's turned into a, a four acre vineyard and and a rustic river winery and vineyard. So we actually have a winery we've been around for three years. Um, we grow every bottle of wine that we, that we make comes from our grapes. Um, so that's kind of cool and unique. And, uh, what we did is we utilized our marginal acres, um, that grapes can grow well in, uh, to, to grow grapes and to maybe make more value out of an area of the farm that wasn't producing much of anything. Um, so that's kind of how we got into it. And now my parents is kind of their, their dream and hobby, and they're having a lot of fun with it. And all of us kids, all of our, all their grandkids, um, the entire family, the community kind of wraps around it and comes out and helps harvest grapes. We, 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 um, we have venues where we do weddings, we do bridal showers, we do, um, all kinds of stuff like that. And we, every once in a while we'll have a, a a band or, or somebody come in and sing. And, um, it's just, it's just a very relaxing place to come in Sac County. I always tell my mom and dad, you know, it's the only place in Sac County that doesn't look like Sac County, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a really pretty area, um, located just north of the lake. And, and we're just utilizing ground that we couldn't utilize before for something that adds value.
0: Were you pretty much self-taught then in starting this business? Because that's a lot different than corn and soybeans.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I would say completely self, self-taught. self We, um, we kind of looked to see what uh, varieties of grapes would, would grow in cold conditions. Um, we picked three that we thought would make good wine and, and you know, would handle the weather that we have here. Uh, it turned out really, really good. Um, all three varieties that we have do a really nice job of producing grapes in drought and in good conditions. Um, and they make good wine. I mean, my dad basically just took an old book and started reading it and kind of figured out slowly but surely, you know, what, what were the things that we should do to make good wine? And we do it the old way. So we we rack it, um, the first time we rack it is at two weeks, and then two weeks, and then four weeks, and then two months, and then six months, and then a year later we have our wine that we bottle. And so um, we don't cold stabilize it, we leave all the the tannins and all the flavor as much as we can in there, and I feel like that's really given us a a neat experience. We do it the old way, um, but it gives us a lot of flavor, and we've we've done well at the State Fair, we've won golds, um, silvers, and bronzes with our wines, and... Um, it's all self-taught. It's just kind of, we just taste test and see how it goes and our soils, um, they're sandy, but they seem to grow really, really good grapes to, for, for tasty wine.
0: As farmers we're often taught that we need to be careful about spraying regardless, but how do you do it with grapes? Because this vineyard is right up against (laughs) corn and soybeans there. Yeah. So, um, actually grapes in
1: general. And from what I've seen and what I, from what I've read and learned is that, um, so 24D is really hard on grapes. Um, so in list 24D is is not good. And we've talked to our neighbors about, you know, hey, please be cognitive of of the grapes. Um, but like dicamba, we spray that on our own field, and, and that's that's not hard on grapes, and hasn't hasn't caused any cupping or any issues. So it's kind of opposite of what maybe soybeans are. It's kind of unique that way. Um, but yeah, we've we've just been really good. We've worked with the county. They don't spray the ditch the ditches in that mile. Um, we've worked with our neighbors um, they've been really all of our neighbors have been really good and uh, very cognitive of what they're spraying but so far so so good I mean we haven't had any issues with it um, and we've been able to to we've been around well the, the vineyard's been around for 12 years now so yeah it's it's going pretty well
0: a lot of corn producers will know this you probably plant a corn crop at 30-some-thousand population. <laughs> you have one at 60,000. Yeah. Talk about why. Yeah, so right next to the
1: vineyard, we, uh, we planted um, corn two different directions, uh, 30,000 a piece. We have 60,000 plants per acre out there. Um, we do that for a corn maze for the winery. So we we uh, mow it every year. My brother mows it every year, kind of makes whatever. This year it's a, it's a windmill. Um, we do a different design every year, and, and it's kind of neat. People come out. Their kids can can run through the maze while they're having a glass of wine on the patio. Um, and then when we get closer to, to harvest, um, we have a haunted maze. And so it's kind of been neat. We get, you know, 15 to 25 people that volunteer. Um, we dress up. We have props throughout the maze. And then people go through it in the dark. And we, we just have a lot of fun with it. So uh, it, it's been something that we've done. This is our fourth year now. And, and we've had really good luck with it. And uh, it kind of, it just brings everybody together. You know, it's kind of one of those things that late, late in fall that um, there's not very many haunted corn mazes around, you know.
0: so <laughs> When you do that... You have GPS to get your pattern. How do you put the pattern into the corn?
1: Yeah, so we we start mowing it when the corn is pretty small so we have a a better feel for where things are. But it's pretty much all feel. He kind of just feels it out as he goes. He does a really good job. Um, You know, we should just make it on the computer and have it planted that way. But when you're planting it two different directions, it's hard to do that um but yeah he he does a really good job just feeling it out and and making it the way he does and uh he's gotten better every single
0: year so that's that's always a positive yeah. i'm guessing it has been fun but it's also been a way for you to generate some money from the farm too is that right
1: Ab- absolutely yeah so i mean we don't um we don't charge a lot for it we just want people to enjoy it um it, it's kind of one of those things where um You know, we're right by the lake. We have a lot of people coming into camp. We have a lot of people on the weekends, tourism-wise. Lakeview is a great little tourist town. And so um, we just get a lot of people that come out. It it offers another thing to do other than just sit there and enjoy the setting. Um, But it also is something that gets everybody in my family involved. I mean, every single person from the grandkids to to us to my parents. Um, We're all involved. We all help each other and to me it's it's just something now that people kind of look forward to so um we'll continue to do it as long as we can one year we had a storm came through we had to combine the corn before we could get the haunted maze you know penciled out but it is what it is i mean that's mother nature and that's corn but yeah we we just pick a variety of corn or a hybrid of corn that stands really really well and um we it as thick as we can so people can't see through it and it's it's a lot of fun
0: before we wind up, you mentioned Lakeview, but we think about this being corn and bean territory, which it is, but Lakeview is a little bit of an oasis, would we call it, out here in, in this part of Iowa?
1: Yeah. I mean, I grew up here. Um, it's obviously home, but I really think Lakeview in the last 10 to 15 years has has really transformed into a really neat tourist town. We have summer concert series that, that we do um, where people line up on the edge of the lake and the the concert people set up on the pier it's it's free so people come and enjoy that they can um, um, we have food trucks that sit there and serve food Um, the lake has really brought a lot of people in from surrounding communities Um, the campgrounds are always full every single weekend Um, The winery kind of adds a little, you know, get away from town a mile or two and and you come out and sit and enjoy. But Lakeview has really turned into a really nice town where we have a lot of good things going for us. We've added a donut shop. We've added a coffee shop. We have a a water um, toy and, and rental Um, building right on the lake. We have a mini golf course. I mean, there's just a lot of different things. We have quite a few campgrounds that, that offer um, spacious places to camp. And so um, it's, it's a really neat town. Most everybody that comes to Lakeview kind of fall in love with its serene, quiet, but yet vibrant feel and so it's it's a really neat town and I, obviously I'm biased.
0: So, <laughs> No, it is a neat place. I appreciate the time to visit. Uh, neat corn and beans, but also the lake, the winery, you've got a lot of good things going on here.
1: Absolutely, I really appreciate coming out and, and uh, walking
0: around and enjoying it with me. I really enjoyed my time on the Phillips farm. Not only did Andrew have some good points to share from his experience in a lot of corn and soybean fields, But the time he and his family have spent on the winery, corn maze, and more was really a treat to see and something you should check out if you're in that area of Iowa. As always, thank you for joining us either on your local radio station or the Farm in the Countryside podcast. And remember, you can follow the show on Facebook where you can catch past shows as well. Also, you can find our daily radio feature, American Countryside. Heard on many of these local radio stations and you can follow on Facebook too. TotalTownMakeover.com is your place for stories we're posting on ways all of us can improve small towns and rural America. Just go to the resources tab at TotalTownMakeover.com or look for that same page on Facebook. I'm Andrew McCray. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.